Hello and welcome to Inspiring the Pack, a Bright Wolves podcast series where we bring to the forefront important conversations about sustainability and entrepreneurship. Bright Wolves is a management consulting firm in Belgium, and in this season, we speak to the finalists of the 2020 Bright Wolves Sustainability Challenge, which recognized Belgian startups who are actively engaging in sustainability through their business offering. So without further ado, let's get into the show. And today we are here with Stain from the company Omega Buff, who won the Brightwell Sustainability Challenge. So congratulations, Stain. Thank you very much. And we're very pleased to have you here and uh, to have you telling us uh, your story. So uh, Omega Bars, to quickly frame it, Omega Bars is an aqua farming company and it's installed in Belgium and uh, run by Stain and Sven. And you guys farm the most sustainable fish in the world. Correct. <laughs> That's correct. So I'm very curious about this. And, and I would like to know, um, how did you come up with this idea to raise the most sustainable fish in the world? So I think it started 12 years ago. And uh, could you explain us how did it all start and, and what led you to start Omega Bars? Indeed. So, so since a child, I'm very interested in fish. And later on, I was very interested in the, in the sea. A lot of my hobbies are in or under sea level. One of them is diving. So when you dive, you, you see underwater life in, in our oceans. And I studied biology. And when I studied biology, I was for my master thesis in South Africa. And I came in touch with aquaculture. And I thought aquaculture is a fantastic idea to produce fish and not to have to fish from the oceans. Now, the problem with aquaculture is there's also some non-sustainable uh, matters like uh, using fish meal in, in fish feeds and also the, the pollution that is uh, going from the farms to, uh, to the natural ecosystems. Mm -hmm. So after uh, working some years in the international aquaculture all over the world, I got a PhD at the University of Leuven, uh, the Department of Biosystems, and they offered me uh, a small amount of, of money, and they offered me to do a study about sustainable aquaculture, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to start from scratch. I'm going to start the species that you can farm sustainable, not the species that requires fish meal, not a, a carnivorous species that is farmed in cages in, in nature, but a species that is low trophic and that you can farm in a sustainable closed recirculation system. And that's how I got, after an ecological study, how I got to this species in Australia, the, the Omega bass. I started a PhD on the fish feed. I, uh, I replaced all fish meal and fish oil. So... We are one of the only uh, species that is farmed without uh, animal protein or animal uh, fats. Uh, and next to that, we also farm the fish in, in, in a closed containment system. It's the recirculating system, which is uh, filtrating all the water. So the water is going around, uh, is used by the fish, is going to the filters and back. We have some wastewater and the wastewater, all the wastewater is going to a greenhouse because the magnificent idea about our concept is that the fish waste, the, the nitrates and the phosphates and so on, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, they're fertilizers to plants, just as it happens in nature. So mm -hmm. instead of delivering wastewater to natural ecosystems, to the sea and so on, we just give it to uh, an, an agricultural producer of tomatoes next door mm -hmm. in a greenhouse. So that's the concept. It's precision farming. It's a, a circular technology that allows us to make sure 
that all the, the waste is recovered and that we don't need to penetrate the natural ecosystem with wastewater or we have to take fish from the sea or other animals to produce other fish. Mm-hmm. That's a the great example of circular economy. Yes, it's, it's a great example of circular economy and especially in agriculture, it's not so easy to do that, but you have to start from a certain point that you know that it can be feasible. So we knew that with all amount of, of water, wastewater we have from a, a recirculating system, yeah. with this amount of water, we can give it to the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. If we wouldn't use the recirculating system, we would have a lot of more water and we would never be able to give it to the tomato mouth. I think that's a wonderful example of uh, how to put in place an ecosystem. Exactly. That is uh, not in nature, but you recreate it as a, an example of Taking example from nature to repeat it. Yes, exactly. I just want to go back to one thing you said. So you, the fish you're farming is a, an Australian fish. How did you find this fish? Well, that's also a story, another story. If you look to, to sustainability and fish farming, you have to look to the species. For us, one of the major concerns was that, is that we need to find a species which is low on the food chain. So not a species that is high on the food chain, because most of the fish species that we eat are carnivorous fish which are high on the food chain. For example, cod or salmon or tuna or tarbots or sea bass, all these fish, they are carnivorous. So that means that you need Mm -hmm. to give them fish meal or fish oil in their diets. So for the European fish production and aquaculture, you need about 2.5 kilos of forage fish to feed one kilo of aquacultured fish. Mm -hmm. So... In fact, you need more fish from the sea than you produce fish. So you, you create a problem while trying to solve a, a problem. Exactly, exactly. So we decided, okay, we need to find a fish which is low on the food chain. So we can divert it to a herbivore species because in nature, omega base is an opportunistic feeder. It's, a, it's an omnivore. With an omnivore, you can change to a herbivore diet. You cannot do that with the, with the carnivore. You cannot eat a salmon with 100% plant-based. That is not possible. Mm-hmm. But you can do that with an omega purge. That's the first criteria. And then the second criteria is that we need to find a fish that can live in a closed contained system because you need to find a fish that you can raise at a certain density so you can farm it in a building. A lot of fish, they are not made for farming in a building because they require a lot of space and they require a lot of swimming behavior, and this is not the case with the omega perch. And then the mm-hmm. third reason why we found omega perch is the health concern. It's a fish that has a lot of omega-3, and it has also, it's a fatty fish. So that were the three parameters that we had to base our research on. So we did a, a survey on the internet. We've been looking to many species on fish bays and, and everywhere in the world, and we we had a list of 20 species, and on the first place, there was omega bass. And I went to Australia to have a look at the fish, and then we tasted the fish, we tried the fish, and then I decided to do my PhD on the fish. So I did a, a survey <laughs> of research of four years, and after a couple of years, we saw, okay, this species is doing well in the recirculation system, this species has a good nutritional value, this species is able to, to be fed without fish meal or fish oil. Mm-hmm. So this is the perfect fish to farm in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. You knew it was the one. We knew it was the one, exactly. <laughs> we knew it was the All one. Right. 
But uh, indeed, after a lot of research, uh, as I hear, because of four to five years. So what I'm really impressed in this story is that uh, you started with an idea, a drive to change, and it really took years of research and, and, and analysis to come with the solution. And I think that's a, that's a proof of drive in your um, desire to change uh, the world. So I yes. really respect that. That's correct. We've been innovating all the time. And during my PhD, we've been innovating also, during the startup of our company now, we are still innovating, we are still improving, we are mm-hmm. still finding ways to be, become better, sustainable, etc. So it's still mm-hmm. going on and I'm expecting that the research for our company is going to be very important for the next decennium. Mm-hmm. All right, so now the research and, dev- and development, I guess, is an important part of your company. I just want to come back to once you found this fish, you knew it was the one, and you started your entrepreneurial adventure, right? Uh, what were the biggest challenge back at that time to materialize your idea, your solution into a concrete uh, business? Well, first of all, recirculating aquaculture is a very new business. So it's, it's a business that is very young. So there's not many cases of successful entrepreneurship. So you need to convince investors that your story is a good story and is not one of the many recirculating stories that could become like another another success. So Mm -hmm. you need to show that it's another story than just another investment in fish farming. So you, you have to convince them. You have to convince us they have to invest in sustainability. And also that the earnings of of the investment is not for the first five or even 10 years, because it's a research story, it's an innovative story. We are a company that is thinking about the long term. So that was, as as I can say, the first major concern. And then the second was that we are farming a fish and and fish farming does not have a very positive meaning. If you talk about fish farming, people say, ah, fish that are farmed, you know, they are not good and they are polluted and they are they're getting antibiotics and all the stories you find in the news about fish farming, they are bad. Look at the mm-hmm. pastures, look at the tilapia, yeah. look at salmon, it's all bad. So we need to make sure that our story was a good story because we are farming fish in a building. People could say, okay, this is not the way to do fish. We need to, you need to eat fish that are coming from the sea, from the wild. Mm-hmm. But we had to convince them. And I, I think we managed to do that. We are maybe not there yet, but I think we already paved the way for uh, people seeing that the way we farm is the best way for nature and also that the fish in our systems, they have a good life, they have maybe even a better life than in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. It must be difficult to tell this story and, and convince customers that especially are not educated to the problem of uh, aqua farming. Exactly. And the problem of the sea. So yeah. I can see a, a big challenge. And I think the proof that you're uh, now still running after all those years, it's a proof that it's working. So that's a positive uh, return, I would and, say. And now, if maybe one, one day, more point is that yeah, sure. in, in farming of, of animals, you always have to be careful about diseases. And that's also one of the major concerns that, oh, a fish, when they become ill or, or sick, then your farm is finished. and Okay, you, you need to grow the fish one year. If you have one disease in that year, you lost all your stock. Mm-hmm. So the problem of diseases was also a major concern. But at this point, after almost 12 years of working with the fish, I never had one disease. So <laughs> that's also That's great. Important. Yeah. All right. As you said, it was a challenge to find investors, but now you found them. And uh, uh, I think they must be uh, very happy to see that the project validated over all those years. We're on the good way, but still... We are only in the in the start of our company. 
mm-hmm. because we want to build more farms. So we are still looking for investors. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So what are your challenges in the present now? The challenges in the present, in the present is to run this farm for a longer time at full capacity. Mm-hmm. And then we would start, that's the, the, now my major uh, part of my job now, is to look for other places where we could farm this fish. Mm-hmm. Because we are overproducing small fish, we, we produce more um, fingerling. That fingerling are small fish that you need to produce from your broodstock. Yeah. So we produce more fingerlings that we, that we need here in Kreusem. So we would like to start producing the fish on another place. Mm-hmm. But this takes also quite some time. You need to find a location, you need to find a good water source. We would like to do it with the greenhouse te- technology. Yeah. So that's the next step that we have to, to make. And, and the way that we have to do that is, is something that we have to think about because there's, there's many options. You can put some smaller farms, you can put one big farm. Uh, where do you put it? Do you put it in, in, in Belgium? Do you put it somewhere else in Europe? Because the, the nice thing with recirculation systems is that you can put the system wherever you want. Mm-hmm. You're not so, so dependent on water. You don't need to put it next to the coast or you don't need to put it next to a river. Mm-hmm. Uh, the major thing is that you need to have water from, from a greenhouse. And there's yeah. many greenhouses all over, all over the civilization. So yeah. that's our, our next uh, challenge. Okay. Okay. So how to expand? Yes. Which we started. Yes. Okay. Yes. I want to go back on an important part for uh, people that are listening to us. It would be the customer acceptance aspect of your product because it's still food and it's difficult market to evolve in that it's related to people's taste. Exactly. You you can produce something very sustainable, but if people don't like it, it's yeah. not going to affect the market, right? Well, first of all, there's the item of the taste. Eh? Every fish has another taste. We find that, that, that omega bass, when it's farmed correctly, it has a, a bit of a nutty taste, just like sole, and when you smoke it, it's a bit like eel. So I, I think we have a fantastic fish with a fantastic taste. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of our project, we had a little bit of a problem with the mud taste in the, in the fish, and that was because some, some of the filters were not working correctly, so we had to put some new bacteria in our biological filters. But now we see that fish has an excellent taste. So we found also that everybody that tastes the fish is, is really delighted about it. Mm-hmm. But for us, the, the, the major concern or the major uh, item to address is that it's also a healthy fish. Mm-hmm. And it's a healthy fish, you can trust on the fish, it's not farmed somewhere in some, some muddy waters or in, in an environment which is not controlled. No, this is a fish that is farmed 100% biosecure, 100% traceable, mm-hmm. a lot of omega-3 fatty fish. So. For your health, it's, I think, the best animal product that exists. So it's, it's free of plastic. It's free of plastic. It's free of PCBs because we don't use any fish oil in our diet. Yeah. For your health, it's the best fish. And that's the way we convince people. We convince the people with the taste, with the health. And to be honest, sustainability is not really something that you sell. People are not going to buy something because it's sustainable. They're going to buy mm-hmm. more healthy or tasty fish. They're going to buy with an attitude that says, what's in there for me? Mm-hmm. The fact that it's local and sustainable is, is a plus point, but they're not mm-hmm. going to pay more for a fish that is sustainable and is not tasting well or not healthy, you see? So yes, indeed. for us, the, the reason why we farm sustainable is that on the long term, we'll have a product that is still there and also we reduce some costs in that. Circular, circular economy is also a reduction of, of your operational costs. Mm-hmm. For example, we don't have to pay water, we don't have to pay for, for wastewater and so on. We are not 
dependent from water because the greenhouse are collecting it and so mm -hmm. on. Yes, so sustainability is more something that uh, makes you future-proof in terms of business on the operational side. Exactly. That's the way I see it. That's the way I see it. I, I always thought in the beginning of a project, all oh, people are going to buy sustainable. And yes, there's maybe 5 or 10% of people that are actually going to pay a bit more for sustainable products. Mm -hmm. But on the end, the, the majority of consumers, they want to buy something healthy, some, something tasty. And if it's farmed locally and sustainable, they even believe that it's going to be more healthier for them. Yeah. So that's the way you, you, you get their drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So it's true because we all talk about sustainability, but it's true that as a customer, you will always see yourself as a, the first, the primary recipient of the value is yourself. And you, indeed, you will look first for taste and health, then helping the world. Exactly. Exactly. To, to be very crude, uh, who can I say that? Um, crude, yes. Crude, yes, sorry. Yeah. Crude. <laughs> people, people are egoistic. Yeah. People are, are uh, Animals that want to survive, and they, they, mm -hmm. it's just how it is. Me, me myself, and I, the same. Mm -hmm. We are organisms that want to, but that think about themselves, that think about their own lives. Mm -hmm. But we are uh, animals with a lot of brains, so we know that we need to do something about the, the world, about sustainability. But the major concern is the me, myself, and I. Mm -hmm. That's just how it is. You need as a pro producer of products, you need to be okay with that. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that people think about themselves, but you have to reach them in a way that the sustainability of your product is in contact with the what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And I think this is a challenge for all companies that are involved in sustainability. Yes, exactly. And Omega Bars found the right mix of two, I believe. So that, that's great. Yes, I think we managed to reach the customer because we are also very transparent. We invite people to our, to our fish farm here. I remember last year we, we had almost 2,000 people that passed here just to see the farm. We explain everything. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of info about it. So we, we educate our customers mm -hmm. and we, li we like to do that. That's an important point. I think, as you say, educating customer, telling your story. How do you do this? Which channel do you use? And actually, how do you distribute your products? Well, the channels that we use is mostly like interviews. And that's something that sustainability is helping us with. Like this now, this podcast is the same. Yes. We, are, we are here because of the sustainability we do. So yes. also in newspapers and articles, people like to hear about the positive story. So we have the feeling that we have a lot of... of, uh, of um, um, we are a lot. We are. We reach a lot of customers just by telling our story in, in newspapers and in, in magazines and so on. Mm -hmm. And for the rest, in the retail, we have our own position of sales material where we tell about the story. But these POS materials, they are mostly concerned about how to prepare the fish. Yes, and it's not telling the whole story about the fish. But that they can read in, in articles or in magazines or in newspapers. And then they go to the shop, they see, okay, the fish is here. How do I yeah. have to prepare the fish? Yes. You see, so that's recipes as far as one of the most important POS items that we can produce. Mm -hmm. Together with, with pictures of the fish, how it's prepared and all this. Okay, it's a, it's a two-step process, so if I understand correctly. You have the first step where you have exposure thanks to sustainability, so people hear about your product. And then the second step is where you talk more about the, the essence of the product, the taste and how to cook it. Exactly. And where people exactly. get educated about the product. All right. It's like this. They open their ears because of the sustainability mm -hmm. that we talk about. 
and then they open their mouth when they or they read the recipe. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, but it's a, actually a good demonstration that sustainability can have a positive value in your awareness. Yes. You get attention to it, you get awareness. So it's great to see that it can provide this kind of value to startups. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, indeed, one of my questions I had in mind is how does having a sustainable purpose help you in your business? And you just described like uh, communication is one aspect that is helped thanks to sustainable purpose. Is something like accessing uh, resources, finance or people. Uh, is it something that is made easier thanks to a sustainable purpose? Yes, when you serve a sustainable purpose, it's always easier to, and, and in these days where sustainability is important, to reach other people. But the, the, the convincing is not based on sustainability. The convincing is based on tastes. Uh, the convincing is based on the price of the product. And also the convincing is based on, for investors, mm-hmm. importantly, as the operational turnover you have. You mm-hmm. see, on, the, on the end, sustainability is also the fact that your products can be farmed and be sold at a good price, so you have an income. Uh, mm-hmm. Voila! So on the end, we are part of the of the of the financial world. So yes, it's a business uh, after all. It's a business after all. Voila. Yes. Okay. Great. Now I would like to talk about the future of Omega Box because I hope Brightwells will be able to help you in this future and that's our goal. And second of all, I want to see Omega Bar as the most sustainable fish. Can it be one day the fish that everybody will eat to get their amount of protein? Well, I, I'm thinking of it the same as I did seven years ago uh, when I finished my PhD and they said to me, Stan, you, you need to do something bigger than your PhD because with a PhD you're not reaching customers mm-hmm. and it's by reaching customers that you can change the world because mm-hmm. it's the products that they buy and the products that you produce that the way of producing is changing the world so I said okay yes I, I need to do that on a bigger scale I need to farm I need to farm more than the couple of tons that I produced during my PhD so the more you produce the more customers you reach and the more you change the world so yes definitely we would like to produce many, many more Omega bars on different locations mm-hmm. because the more Omega bars that is eaten, the less fish is produced, not sustainable, or has to be fished from the sea. Mm-hmm. And we know that by 2050, we need to double the amount of uh, fishery products. But fisheries itself, they cannot increase. So it needs to be farmed. But a lot of farming ways is not the proper way because of the, the way they do it. So, yes, we need to farm more Omega bars mm-hmm. or other fish that is farm sustainable without fish from the sea or without polluting the natural ecosystems. And, and why not farming the fish like you farm, or, or why not having many omega bass farms just like you have many chicken farms, for example? Mm-hmm. But it's a bit the same. Chicken is the main cultivated uh, animal uh, on the planet. Yes. So it also had a, had a steady grow. Why not doing this with omega bass? Mm-hmm. And I believe that producing omega bass is with a much better animal welfare than, than chicken. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and the, the in terms of easiness of replication of your of your farms, if you compare it to the chicken farm, for example, I think it's a great example. Yeah, it's much much more technology, yes. much more technology. Yeah, the, the only problem that I can see with all story is that the way of farming is it's not easy. It's really a technological uh, issue. You have to farm your fish. You have to filter your water. You have to couple your water with a lot of greenhouse. It's not easy. You have a lot of technology, a lot of sensors, a lot of, of machinery mm-hmm. that has to work. 
But of course, also in, in, in other animal farming, you need to have a whole system in place with alarms. So on the end, we, we are just like another animal producers, but I see it's a little bit more complex, but you can learn all these skills to people. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's feasible, but of course, it, it will take some time to, to educate people to be sure that they can do it, mm-hmm. to train people and, and so on. Yes, it does make sense. And I guess you need to educate other producers uh, for any kind of uh, animal uh, farming. Yes. And the hardest part about this, and I can say this because I'm, I'm not uh, educated as a farmer, but if you farm a fish, you need to be constantly around. With your telephone, you need to be able to catch alarm problems. Mm-hmm. You need to divide your workload during the weekends, mm-hmm. during holidays. All the time, something can happen. And when you're... Mm-hmm. When there's, for example, polar failure, we have two steps of emergencies. But if they don't mm-hmm. work, the emergencies, in half an hour, all the fish can be dead. So you need to be always be sure about mm-hmm. a lot of things, even if you're not uh, at the office between nine and five. Yes. So that's the hardest part, actually. Fishers don't take holidays. You have to be a farmer. You have to yeah. think like a farmer. You have to live a life like a farmer. Yes. They, they say that their animals don't take holidays. So for them... Exactly. They don't take holidays. Not at all. They don't sleep even. Eh? Even at night, something can happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, indeed. It, it has the same challenges as uh, all the farmers, as you described. Exactly. And that's the hardest part. And when you see why farmers, they stop farming, mm-hmm. because when they're small, you need to be on alarm all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's why they grow. They want to be bigger and they want to have more personal so they don't have to be on alarm all the time. And that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Taking one week of holiday a year, nobody wants to do that anymore. Yes. And I guess that's when the sustainability aspect of farming becomes challenged uh, as soon as you want to grow and, as you say, be able to divide the tasks. And that's when the sustainability aspect is challenged by using uh, resources that are not sustainable or systems that are not sustainable. But on the other hand, do make the process easier for the farmer. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. Technology. Now we can go away from the farm and and SMS is calling us through a sensor and, and internet that something happens. 20 years ago, we had to be here all the time. Mm-hmm. So technology is, is making sure that projects like this can happen and can exist. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And uh, staying on a more um, question relating to Brightwell, so you won the sustainability challenge. We will provide you with one month of consulting. Um, how do you see this partnership delivering value to Omega Bars? Well, for, for us, the first thing is that we want to know how we form the next step do we do it in different farms, mm-hmm. smaller scale, or do it big scale? Because the big scale has an advantage. You produce at a lower cost, because when the size of your farm increases, your operational costs decreases. But Indeed. of course, maybe you can be seen as, as just another big fish farm. So we want to stay authentic. We want to stay like a fish that has produced locally. Mm-hmm. But of course, when you do it on a smaller scale, yeah, your costs are higher. So that's something we have to... We already, for a long time, you're talking about it, but we don't know really what to do. Mm-hmm. So that's, for us, uh, an important step. And then secondly, we still want to make sure that the fish is in proper packaged sustainable materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. We are now in Carrefour using Holopack, which is uh, made from uh, from paper and plastic. Mm-hmm. But now they say the PAT, you have recyclable PET, yes. which looks like plastic, that is more sustainable. So which is the package now that is actually the most sustainable. Mm-hmm. But of course, you, you need to be sure that for the customer, it, it looks like the most sustainable. Eh? Yes. Perception 
can be sometimes different than the reality, but people listen more to their perception than to the reality because they don't know always the reality. So that's something also that you could help us in the way of packing all products and retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the two major items. That's awesome. I'm sure we will love working with you and, and be able to deliver value Yes. Uh, through those two questions you have and uh, we'll be happy to research about it. And I find it very interesting. Now, on a, on a more general note, and this will be uh, the last question of the podcast, I just want you to express to anyone who wants to support you in terms of partnership in business or as an individual or as institution or association, how can those people support Omega Bauhaus? Are you talking about possible investors or talking about customers? I'm talking about uh, partnerships. So uh, as much as uh, Brightwell wants to partner with Omega Bars, what could other partners do to support Omega Bars in terms maybe of farms or government institutions? Or I think the most important thing that, had to, that needs to happen in our society is that we need to, to find a level playing field for products. We need to put an, 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 a life chain assessment for all products and we need to put a tax on products based on their uh, life chain assessment. And in this way, you create a level playing field. And this is mm-hmm. something I think the, the governments, but also, um, yeah, we, we, we need to look at, at what actually a, a product costs. Last week in Germany, there was a supermarket that was displaying two costs. The cost that you had to pay as a customer and the cost that is actually the cost of production. And people didn't realize that they are paying less than what they should pay. So we need to know that we, we don't pay enough for the products that we buy because we're not taking into account the, the envi- environmental impacts of those mm-hmm. products. Mm-hmm. And that for me is something very important that we should do and, and also investors or lawmakers or, or whatever. We should think in, in that direction. We should all think about putting up a level playing field. So all products are quotated in, in the same way that you put a tax on, on the product if it's not produced uh, sustainable mm-hmm. or you pay, pay less for a product that is produced sustainable. Mm-hmm. So that's something important. But it's very complicated eh, to calculate an, an LCA, a life chain assessment on, on product because there's different aspects. Yes. Um, but that's something I think we should work to. Indeed, taking into account the environmental cost of products yes. is, is clearly something exactly. we could uh, exactly. make uh, progress on. No, I, I totally agree. And then we don't even have to talk anymore about sustainability. Then we just talk about, okay, this product costs so much, this product costs more, okay, you pay more because it's not sustainable. Yeah. But then these taxes of why it's costing more can be used to fight climate problems and so on. Indeed. And, and you would be able to, to combine the financial aspect and the sustainable aspect. Yes, because I have the idea that a lot of people, they don't understand it anymore. It's too complex. Some pe- things are sustainable and it's not sustainable. And nowadays, everything is sustainable. It's more sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's just more sustainable than it was before. So mm-hmm. people, they don't see the trees in the woods anymore, as we, we say in Dutch. Eh? But mm-hmm. if you just pay for it and your, the amount of money you pay for products, is uh, reflecting the impact on nature, then then the discussions are over. We just have to look to the LCA, and that's it. Indeed, that's a great idea, and I hope it will be a, a reality in the future. Yes, that would be that would be awesome. But we do it. We have to do it internationally. Yeah? We have to do it on the European scale or, or even global. We have to because if you, if you calculate an LCA for a product in Belgium and it's different in France, okay, then you have a problem. We have to do it in an international scale. 
Yes, yes, it's true. It's true that it's something that will have more uh, impact on an international scale. Yeah. Okay. But I will let the politics decide about this. On the other hand, <laughs> I really hope to see Omega Bars as a big source of protein in Europe and in the world. I think it's really important. It's one of the biggest challenges of the next 20, 30 years. And I do think that Omega Bars provide a solution to this challenge. So I wish you all the best for your adventure. I'm really excited to work with you. And thank you a lot, Stain, for sharing your story with us. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiring the Pack. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or why not share it with a friend or colleague? For more information, please visit our website at www.brightwolves.com where you can find out more about our expertise, insights, and how to get in contact. And if you would like to get in touch with our guest for this episode, you can also find their information in the show notes below.